Hello, friends and fellow travelers. It is September 2021, and this is the RV Connects podcast. Welcome to episode 41. I'm Melina, and I'm joined, as always, by Dan, the fancy man about town. Hello. Whose hobbies include opening $150 bottles of wine on a random Wednesday night because he can't tell the difference between fancy wine and cooking vinegar. (laughs) So right now we are sipping on a beautiful bottle of a lovely wine and uh, bringing this podcast to you. Well, we had takeout Chinese food and I thought a nice nice glass of wine would go well with it. And as I sat down with my wine, I'm like, wow, this tastes really good. We, <laughs> no. we did a good job picking cheap. No kidding. <laughs> as always, we are the RV Canucks, a Canadian family of four trekking the wilds of North America from our home base in Southern Ontario and taking you along for the ride. If you like listening but want to see all of the adventures that we have together, then you can follow our journey visually on Instagram and Facebook at RV Canucks. That's R-V-C-A-N-U-C-K-S. And if you like the podcast, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook as it helps us reach new listeners with your feedback and we are eternally grateful for that. So this is the second part of a two-part series that we're doing on Drumheller from the RV Canucks Grand Tour of 2021 when we took a family road trip out west. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, I'd encourage you to go ahead and download that as well and that kind of sets the stage for today. Right. So today we are focusing on sort of the second half of our visit to the Drumheller Valley and we are going to cover Drumheller Valley as kind of the coal mining center of Canada really at one point. We're going to talk about the world famous hoodoos and we are going to talk about Horseshoe Canyon. Horseshoe Canyon. (laughs) This is really Horseshoe Canyon was really really good but both of us over time have struggled to remember the name of the place and (laughs) and put it in our memories for some reason. Yes. So we are going to cover those three great things, which just didn't fit into the last episode, episode 40. So if you're interested in the first half of that, go back and check out episode 40. So when we talk about Drumheller, we talk about coal mines. It's just kind of ingrained in the area. Drumheller was once known as the Wonder Town of the West and at one point had 139 coal mines registered in its heyday. It produced 60 million tons of coal at its peak. And by World War I, the industry employed more than 8,000 people, mostly working underground. But by 1960, both the Canadian Pacific Railway and the Canadian National Railways had completed their conversion from coal-powered locomotives to diesel-electric ones. And that represented a major blow to the coal industry, as the railways had always been the most significant steam coal customer. So due to the dramatic loss of those markets, many mines closed and the coal towns were abandoned by usually around, you know, the mid-70s, I think, is when they all sort of fell out of favor. Now, one of the largest employers in the Drumheller area was the Atlas Coal Mine, located in East Cooley, which is about 23 kilometers southeast of Drumheller and just seven minutes from the famous Hoodoo's, which we will be talking about in a little bit. So East Cooley was once a thriving town of 3,000, and it is beautifully nestled along the Red Deer River, as with all the other mining towns in the Drumheller area. It's home to the East Cooley School Museum, which really brings the reality of mining to life in the modern day. And I think the East Cooley School Museum, which is obviously in the one-room schoolhouse in the town, 
is kind of a necessary museum if you're going to take the time to go out and visit the attraction of the Atlas Coal Mine. I think visiting the school museum will really help kind of frame what life was actually like in that time. So the Atlas Coal Mine, which is in East Cooley, is a National Historic Site. It's considered Canada's most complete historic coal mine, and it is actually the number one rated tour in Drumheller Valley by TripAdvisor. So admission to the mine is actually really reasonable. You can pay a general admission of $12.50 for adults and $9.50 for youths or seniors, and I think kids below six or five are free. And with that general admission, you can go on a self-guided tour, you can look at the machines, you can learn about the mining history, you can look at the gorgeous landscapes, which we've talked about a ton on the last episode. And for those who are photo savvy, the Atlas is actually one of the most photogenic sites or historic sites for sure in the nation. So most people, if you're just going to pay the self-guided tour price, would spend maybe one or two hours there just kind of wandering around, but you're not going to get a ton of the sort of in-depth information that you might get if you take one of the add-on tours. If you're looking for that full experience, the add-on tours are a great way to go. There's a few above ground and one very deep below ground. The website is really fantastic at providing walking difficulty ratings for each tour because not all of them are accessible. And uh, given the terrain, you're probably best to wear closed toe shoes, hiking boots, etc., which are actually a requirement on some of the tours. So what are the tour add-ons? Well, you can take the 45-minute processing plant tour and explore the last wooden tipple, which is the processing part of the coal mine. Um, You can learn how coal was sorted, stored, shipped. You trek 125 feet to the top of the tipple and you learn about the dangers of work for young boys. So tipples had tipple boys, which worked in the mines and their job was to load coal into the railroad hopper cars. And it was very, very difficult and very dangerous. And I think, you know, they could get crushed by coal very easily. So that tour is $13.50 in addition to your ticket. And it's listed as medium on the website for difficulty. But if you're looking for a bit of an easier tour. There's two tours. One is an hour-long guided machinery tour. So the same machinery that you can view on the self-guided tour. However, you have a guide taking you around, telling you about the machines, what they were used for, the history, etc. Or for just $6.50, you can take a 25-minute ground-level train tour in a 90-year-old locomotive around the mine site. So we haven't taken it, my but my parents have, and I was talking to my dad about it the other day. He said it was really rough, but enjoyable, but it's the kind of thing that will probably leave your teeth chattering for a few minutes afterward. What's really cool about this coal mine and just knowing that it's there is that when, I think if you're from Eastern Canada or Ontario, you think of Western Canada, the prairies, as being about wheat and farming and cattle and oil wells. And you don't really think about coal and maybe some of the unique history that goes into it. And I think there's a lot more to the area that maybe people in the East like to make fun of. And I think we should give them some credit and maybe explore their history a little bit more deeply. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why this is interesting. Because I think when I grew up here, they talk about, you know, the oil and the prairies. and, And that's what they talked about. And maybe if we were being progressive back in the day, they talked about finding dinosaurs. But... This is actually something cool that I don't think a lot of people, especially if you're out east, might know about because we all think all the coal came from Cape Breton. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of like the tours, there's sort of the crown jewel of the Atlas coal mine. 
And it, that is the underground tour. And this is the tour that I am still, and you can probably hear the bitterness in my voice. We, because of the hitch problems, which you'll, if you've listened to episode 40, you know about, we lost some time on the trip. We just ran out of time and we could not do this underground tour, which was like on the top of my must-do list. And I will tell you, it is literally the first thing I'm going to do the next time we go back to Drumheller. So this tour is an hour and 15 minutes. It's an underground tour. It's $15.50 on top of your admission. Children under six are not allowed, no exceptions. It has a walking difficulty of hard. And I was really excited about it, but I've always wondered, like you you get, you see a lot of lore and you know, you, if you watch like the show Poldark, you find about like the coal mines in England and like you really, it's kind of like this lore, this like this, this myth of the coal mine and, and how dark and how dirty and how dangerous and you know, the whole, you know, canaries chirping in the mine and the bad air quality and and it's just something that I've always wanted to do. So I think it would be a fantastic tour. The website basically explains that you go on a 75 minute hike up the valley wall. You go through some of the most unique and darkest spaces, as well as some of the best viewpoints in the Drumheller Valley. So the tour involves enclosed spaces, heights, uh, rough cut steps that are cut right into the valley wall that you have to kind of scramble up. Guests are required to wear hard hats with lamps on them. You have to wear hiking shoes. And what excited me about this and when they're talking about the darkest places is kind of like I knew you would go in the mine at one point during the tour. They probably make everybody turn their hard hat lights off and you kind of see the absolute blackness. And that was something that I still remember. And I guess I was like 10 and we went to see the Oregon Caves in Oregon. And these this cave network in Oregon is absolutely incredible. But at one point during that tour, they shut off the lights, the electric lights. So you could kind of see if you were like spelunking in this cave originally and you didn't have electric lights and you didn't have a match. And it was so dark, literally you could not see the hand in front of your face. And it was the kind of darkness that like took all the sound out of it as well, like if that makes sense. And I just think putting yourself in situations like that and just trying to imagine what life would have been like to attend that site every day just seems really neat to me. So that's me waxing poetic about the Atlas coal coal mine. (laughs) Moving on from East Coulee, one ghost town and mine site that we did get to visit was the town of Wayne, Alberta. There might not be much left of Wayne. However, the journey there is a little bit iconic. The journey is called 11 Bridges to Wayne, and it's a popular road for bikers. It's a narrow road which winds over the Snaky River, and as you may have guessed, uh, you travel across 11 different bridges on the short, you know, six or seven kilometer journey from the main road into Wayne. And once you're in Wayne, the ghost town basically just consists of two lone buildings. However, one of them is actually pretty special. So the Rose Deer Hotel and the Last Chance Saloon have been in continuous operation since 1913, and they have survived all of the ups and downs of a coal community, the removal of the railroad in 2014. Apparently it is haunted as all get out, which, spoiler alert, you will probably hear a little bit about on our October episode. It's always the last episode before Halloween, where we do, you know, the top five Haunt, most haunted places we've camped, which is a fun little episode to do. And we did one last year. So if you have a chance and are interested, go back and visit that because we've, we've visited some really unique places. And this will probably be one of them that makes the cut this year. 
And this place is a fantastic place to stop for a bite to eat. It's really popular. When we stopped by, the line just to get in the door was about 15 or 20 deep. And I think it was about 45 minutes or an hour wait to eat. So it is definitely a destination. I might just jump in here real quick. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be too concerned about driving that road and bringing my trailer down it or bringing an RV or a camper van. But I think if you have a choice to come here without your trailer, I might be inclined to just leave the trailer back at the campsite because I think you might find parking a trailer just a little bit difficult there. And I, I just say that because this is a ghost town. Like there's, there isn't a parking lot advertising. This is a ghost town. It's a ghost town. So, you know, you're going to have no problem parking your car there, but you might, if you have the choice, you might not want to bring more than you actually need, if that makes sense. I am going to put one qualification on that because actually at the Rose Deer Hotel, which is the heart of the Wayne ghost town there they actually have camping there beside the hotel so unless you're going there to stay and I know they host a very big music festival called I think it's called Wayne stock every year but you can camp there so you can get down the road with the trailer like Dan said however I agree fully that if you're just going there for a visit like we had a hard time finding a spot to park the truck and we never in a million years would have got our trailer turned back around to leave the town we would still be there living in Wayne so I fully agree with that assessment but the good news is if you're camping in Drumheller this is not a far drive this is easy peasy. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the hotel in the saloon, so the hotel is is called the Rose Deer Hotel and it was named for the Rose Deer Mine which operated just literally a stone's throw away and although there's nothing left of the mines, there's actually a large plaque at the road which shows the location of the mines. There's a little map that shows where the shafts are and where the cemetery is, which was actually relocated, I think, because of what, due to flooding or something? I think there was flooding. Yeah. And so they moved the, they reburied everybody that was in this uh, mining cemetery up in the hills somewhere, but the location they haven't told anybody about. So it is up there. It's kind of marked on a map, but you would really have to go scramble in the hills, which is private property to go find it but the plaque just kind of like broke my heart when I talked uh, last time about visiting the Atlas coal mine and like the lore of the coal mine and like the danger and stuff like this plaque really sort of hit home the horrors of working in coal and basically the living the working conditions at the local mines in the area earned the area the nickname of Hell's Hole so workers were housed in canvas roof shacks year-round which you can imagine would have been absolutely atrocious in the wintertime. They were roughly 12 feet by 12 feet large or small, <laughs> and they housed six or seven men each. And to make matters worse, there was only one outhouse for every six shacks. So as you can imagine, disease was rampant. And I'm sure the Last Chance Saloon was visited every chance anybody could just to drink their face off and forget their reality. <laughs> yeah, so a couple, you know, I just think all of that sets the stage for how hard life was there. And and the workers were paid in company script. For those of us that are old enough to remember, it's almost like getting paid in Canadian tire money. <laughs> and they had to use this company script to only buy stuff from the company store. So mm-hmm. they're, they're not being paid in cash money or Canadian dollars that they can take to any store. They really only have one place that they can spend it. To make matters even worse, pay was, amongst other things, decided based on your ethnicity. So, you know, if you didn't have a favorable ethnicity of the day, you weren't 
paid as much as somebody who was more in favor. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, there was huge communist influences in that area. There was a massive, like, long, drawn-out, basically a civil war between mine operators, workers, and unions in the the late teens, I guess, in the early 20s of the 1900s. And it just uh, seemed like a, a pretty horrible time. And even after some of those issues dissipated, mining really remained a dangerous occupation. So the reason why I mention all of these coal mines and to kind of tie this together is that there's actually a really great coal miners memorial downtown Drumheller, which kind of pays tribute to the lives lost and the families that lived here there. And it's well worth the visit. And it's kind of tucked away off the main street. But I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, I want to say it's just, you know, when we were in downtown, and you got to listen to part one of this about Melina talked about how great and walkable the downtown was. And there was a little band playing on Friday night. And it's, you know, kind of kitty corner to the lesion. So you'll find it. It's it's out in, in kind of full public view. It's not super tucked away, but it's, you know, there's not a big arrow pointing to it either. So kind of walk down the little alleys and walkways and plaques and memorials that they have in town and you start to paint a real picture because that added a little bit to the picture reading the plaque and the ghost town added to the picture all those kind of things start to add a whole picture of the area as you're driving from the coal mine to the dinosaur museum to the you know i know you're going to talk about the suspension bridge all those kind of things start to paint a picture of the whole area in your mind Mm -hmm. and that's one of the one things i did want to mention because there is a a suspension bridge a really neat suspension bridge just outside of drumheller about nine kilometers i believe and it's called the star mine suspension bridge it's also known as the rosedale suspension bridge um, which is in rosedale and it allowed miners to access the star mine so it's it really neat, I forget how long it is, but people use it to access fishing and to go scramble up the hills and, and you can kind of see where that original mine site was. There's nothing kind of there anymore. And when we went, all we saw on Google Maps and all of the information we could find was just that it was closed. And I had sort of assumed that perhaps it was closed due to COVID and they couldn't make sure that people were distancing on the bridge. But let's face it, it was Alberta. And at that point, it was kind of the Wild West and it was open for business. But um, I have since found out that the bridge is actually closed until further notice because I guess at the beginning of 2021 or late 2020, they basically found extreme rot in the wooden supports of the bridge. So it's highly unsafe to use the bridge. And unfortunately, they have to do all kinds of work to get it up and running again. If that'll happen, I'm not sure. Just note that until further notice, it will be closed, but they are actively working to uh, rebuild the structure. We hope to get it open soon. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one thing I really was excited to talk about, this was probably one of the most memorable, one of the best days on our trip because it was so chill. It was really adventurous and it just kind of highlighted one of the best things about the Drumheller Valley in that kind of in the valley, you're you're kind of just left to roam. Like it's not like, you know, places here where you go to a historical site or you go to like the Badlands in Cheltenham and there's just a boardwalk and you stay on the boardwalk and you look at your viewing area and then you turn around, get in your car and go home. In the Badlands, you are just allowed to wander. It's like wander at your own risk. Beware that there are snakes and all kinds of other creepy crawlers in the hills. But other than that, go and explore. And there's really no restrictions on where you go. And that was something I really, really enjoyed about Horseshoe Canyon. There also is a smaller counterpart to Horseshoe Canyon called Horse Thief Canyon. And that is just about, you know, nine or 10 kilometers on the other side of Drumheller. And both of them are very similar. I think Horse Thief Canyon is a little bit less popular than Horseshoe Canyon, but both of them are a fantastic visit. 
well worth it. They were both formed during the last ice age. Really neat about it is in the last ice age, a lot of Alberta was covered in glaciers. And as those glaciers started to melt, they sort of acted as a dam, which formed lakes as they were melting. And at one point, all of these glaciers just kind of broke apart and the torrents of water were just left to rush across the province, basically. And so the areas that these canyons are is where the water or the Red Deer River, in this case, was responsible for creating, you know, wearing away at that sediment. And it's a really fantastic look. You can look at time, basically. There's a whole bunch of different striations. There's a whole bunch of different levels. There's a great info board overlooking the canyon, which points out kind of the composition of the layers, including the Drumheller Formation, which is one layer. I think it's beneath the coal layer. And that's where a ton of dinosaur species have been found unearthed and brought to the Royal Tyrol Museum. Uh, And although we didn't find dinosaurs when we were there, we saw a lot of dogs. It's a very popular spot to go hike your dog. We saw a couple of deer. We saw a sign to remind you that fishing in drop toilets is not allowed. (laughs) That was kind of funny. Uh, That was in the, there's a set of bathrooms at the top of the canyon, which is very convenient. It's great. It's a good layout. You do have to pay for parking, and I think it was only about three dollars. Yeah, it was two or three dollars. It was, you know, whatever the loose. You know, you probably got the loose change floating around in your truck to yeah. pay for the parking. Mm-hmm. So there's there's very you know clean drop toilets. It's drop toilets and hand sanitizer, but they did have signs over the toilet that basically said like, "Don't stand on the toilet. Don't throw anything in there that's not supposed to be in there, and don't fish." <laughs> Come on, people! Like, what are you doing? What are you bringing your fishing pole to the drop toilet for? Um, yeah, but I think when you when you show up, it's very clean, tidy organized there's a couple of summer students are going to collect your parking money it's it's not a lot of money the parking's nice there's some benches the boards and then they're going to have a set of stairs and a walkway that take you down into the canyon the canyons you know that's not a five minute walk down tops Mm -hmm. it's it's not busy there's lots of people around but it's not busy and you're not tripping over everybody you don't have to walk very far before you're kind of by yourself with your family. Mm -hmm. And like Melina said, you know, there's not a lot of signs up that say, hey, stay on the Mark Trail, only go here. There's not a lot of restrictions. You can walk anywhere. And yet amazingly, it doesn't look like anybody's ever walked there. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is nice that given the number of people there that they respect the environment. And so you can go for a really nice walk down there and see some cool stuff. You you know, bring a bottle of water and, you know, proper shoes and whatnot. But I, I think it's kind of cool down there. It's almost like you can imagine a Wild West shootout, like, you know, some outlaws and cowboys having a go at it around the next corner. It's that, that kind of way, but you're not too far away from anything mm-hmm. at the same time. That actually reminds me of something that I forgot to mention when we were talking about Wayne in the Rose Deer Hotel, like that has actually been used for a ton of Western movies. And one of them was that Jackie Chan uh, Shanghai Noon movie, which I think was cool. But anyway, back to the canyon. One of the things the girls really enjoyed about the canyon was exactly what Dan said, is like, it doesn't take you long before you're just kind of by yourself. And the way it works is when you go down, and when he says stairs, it's not like, a concrete set of stairs. It's sort of like gravel with like railroad ties that will take you down into the canyon. And then there's a little bit of like a gravel path. And then the gravel path just kind of like slowly dissipates. And what the girls really enjoyed about it was it became an afternoon of choose your own adventure. We would get to, you know, a bit of a, a, a like a turn in the canyon and we'd say, okay, which way are we going? Left, right, straight. And the girls would pick. And we just kind of wound our way through. We were very careful to look up every once in a while and sort of mark landmarks that we could see from the bottom of the canyon so we knew which way to turn around and go back. And it's not a massive canyon, but it's big enough that if you wandered and wandered and wandered, you would certainly get lost. There was little like cacti everywhere, a lot of really neat flora and fauna. 
it was it was an awesome awesome day yeah i think everybody really liked that i don't know what our expectations were but we all came back having had a really good day Mm -hmm. and after we were done our hike we sort of came back up to the top and when dan says it's five minutes down it's like five minutes down and it felt like 40 up but it wasn't but like holy cow like i had to pause like three times on the stairs going up so i found it easier to skip the stairs on the way up and just go up the hill because For some reason, the stairs were like killing me. I don't know what it was, but it was a hard slog to get back up. So just beware if you tire easily or you're not used to walking a lot, you will get tired going back up, but it is definitely worth it to go back down. Don't use that though as an excuse not to go down there because there was people of all different body types and fitness levels and little kids down there running around as well. Oh, for sure. And at the top, there's a ton of picnic tables. There's a picnic shelter. When we were done our hike, we went back up and we had a picnic that we had packed at the trailer. We ate it. It was a really lovely, lovely day. In the summer when we were there, they did have somebody also, not just like the summer students taking your money, but they did have somebody planted there and they were sitting in a booth uh, from Travel Drumheller. So they were able to answer questions about the area, provide maps, tell you other places to go, give you directions. And actually, one thing that's actually really neat is right behind Horseshoe Canyon, I think we touched on this in the last episode, but that there is a campground right at the canyon. So it's kind of, you know, very close to the road, probably a great spot to stay if you wanted to go there, stay overnight, explore the canyon in the morning. I don't know that I'd stay there for a week. Like it's kind of a basic RV park, you know, no privacy, but it is a fantastic spot that if you just want to stop and spend a night and just you know, spend a morning or an evening wandering the canyon, it's the perfect place to do that. So maybe the other thing, I think we did it that day as well, or maybe not, I don't remember. The hoodoos? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, certainly I think you could probably do both of these in the same day, but, you know, be a lot of walking, a lot of hiking. So maybe put them on separate days would be my advice. We also visited the hoodoos and hoodoos are this rock formation where you have hard rock, but the rock underneath it erodes away and narrows so if you can imagine it's almost like a table like a mushroom almost picture like uh, a mushroom cap yeah a mushroom cap or a, some kind of table thing is is what a hoodoo is and they kind of come in all shapes and sizes so i you know that kind of sets the stage for what a hoodoo is it's a, a geological feature the hoodoos are about 14 kilometers from drum heller yeah just southeast yep just southeast again you kind of arrive in the same way that you did at horseshoe canyon there's a couple summer students they take a couple of dollars for parking there's ice cream at the bottom so you can get an ice cream cone and you can hike to the top and you know i think people kind of peter out as they go they kind of walk and a few people kind of get a feel for it and walk back down but you know if you put a little bit of effort into it you can scramble your way up to the top and then you have a really good view of the scenery around you does that kind of sound like I'm painting the right picture for people. Yeah, for sure. And this is how I know exactly it was not the same day as Horseshoe Canyon because Horseshoe Canyon, we actually visited the Hoodoos twice on the same day and paid for parking twice. And I will tell you why is because Horseshoe Canyon, we were dressed for hiking that we were doing laundry and we decided to visit the Hoodoos very quickly because in my mind and what I had seen of the hoodoos, I had just sort of expected, you've got the hoodoos, they have a walkway around it. You go, you look at the hoodoos, you take some nice pictures for Instagram and you get in your car and you go. Well, we didn't realize at that time that you can just basically roam around the hoodoos and scramble your way up this like 45 degree incline to the top of this this mesa at the top and 
And when we showed up, we were definitely not dressed for it. We were not dressed for it. We didn't have the right shoes for it. And don't get me wrong. It is very touristy. It is very, very busy. And there was a shocking number of people trying to do that climb in like dollar store flip flops. And it is not a safe climb if you are not wearing the right shoes. Like it was very slick, right? Like there was almost no traction. So we went, we looked at the hoodoos. We were like, wow, this is really amazing. And the girls like, we want to go up that path because it was cool. Like you basically were in an almost vertical climb to the top. So we're like, okay, cool. It's 10 minutes from town, you know, 15 at the most. So we got in the truck, we went back, we all changed our clothes. We all put on hiking shoes (laughs) and we went back to the hoodoos and it was about four o'clock which I think was actually a beautiful time to visit in the summer it was it wasn't too hot so picture you've got you know you these amazing rock formations you've got a bit of a metal walkway steps up to them and then the walkway kind of disappears but then they just let you scramble on the rocks at the back so then there is this very sort of defined sandy path that goes up to the top and that's where we were like on all fours at some points you go through a couple of canyon walls where you can hold on to either side of the wall to scramble up there is no guardrails there is no grab bars there is no carabiner hooks in the side of the hill there's nothing you're basically just scrambling to the top so that's what we went up and I was actually terrified of coming back down because it was that difficult to get up it that I could see somebody just sliding right down. And I'm sure it's probably happened before. And if you're the kind of person who's a little afraid of heights and get a tickle in your tummy, then you were going to have a tickle in your tummy looking down. And I had the same idea too of now we got to get everybody down and not have any busted ankles. And of course, as you're climbing up, you're like just keeping an eye on what 12 year old kid in front of you is flying up there, kicking rocks back down. So, you know, we got up to the top, we looked around, we got our pictures, but what we realized there's a path down the backside. Mm -hmm. And most people were not taking this path down the backside. So we took the path down the backside. It's certainly not as steep. It's just a a hiking trail down. Mm -hmm. But what was really cool is I think you see a lot of stuff that you wouldn't see if you didn't take that way. So you start to come down, you see a little bit different geological or rock formations, and then you can see some cows that are, you know, just grazing on the land. They're just pasture. And you just just get a different feel that you wouldn't get if you kind of tried to figure a way back down to to the bottom. So Just for the simple fact that you can see something completely different on the backside down and not really add much time to the descent, I would 100% recommend going down the backside. Mm -hmm. And to kind of frame it up, the Hoodoos is on like a busy road. And so when you come down the backside, it's like almost all of the, the road noise gets cut. And you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. And it it was really neat. There was even some smaller hoodoos on the backside, kind of around the side as you sort of crest around the side to come back to where all of the cars get parked. And it was just neat. Like we saw maybe four people on the backside of that trail. And there was probably 60 to 70 on the front side. So it's kind of like go the distance. If you can get to the top of that hill, we got up there and Isla looked at me and she's like, I want to stay up here forever. The views were beautiful. Of course, the mesas, which we talked about before, are sort of like flat top mountains where all, all of the canyons descend from. And it just, it's amazing how you can look down and see your car and, you know, the size of a dinky toy and then look out on this flat mesa that goes along forever. And then on the other side of the canyon, there's a completely different view. Like it's just, it's this, it's this, the scenery changes all the time in that area. And it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. I think you just have to stop and look around and soak it in. Mm -hmm, For sure. 
Those are the other main attractions that we didn't get to in episode 40. I'm sure we could, you know, the next time we go back to Drumheller, there's going to be another two or three episodes easy because there is so much to do in that one small, tiny little area that I I have to say, honestly, like we've been to a lot of places and we've been to a ton of places in Canada, whether camping or not. And, you know, I, I would consider us, you know, fairly well-traveled people. And I would say that the Drumheller Valley is probably one of my favorite places ever. And it's just easy going. It's parking is no more than two or three dollars. There's, you know, a nice parking lot and a couple of drop toilets. But once you start on your walk, it's there isn't a bunch of signs that say you can't do this or you have to do that. You, you just go and do what you do and everybody finds a way to be casual and respectful of everything around them. And it's not, I guess, not too pretentious. Yeah. Does yeah, that make sense? I would say that yeah. for sure. I think that's accurate. So that's it for Drumheller. Next episode, as we promised you last time, we are going to be talking to our friends Ben and Janine. Ben and Janine have recently purchased a motorhome and they undertook a very, very similar road trip to us this July. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do the trip together because of Dan's deployment and the timing that he came home. However, they managed to see Dinosaur Provincial Park in Alberta, which is sort of the other area, which is very famous for dinosaurs. It's about 250 kilometers away from Drumheller. And they were able to see both of those because that was kind of one of the main attractions on their trip. So we're going to talk to them in two weeks about Dinosaur Provincial Park how it varies compared to Drumheller and uh, let you make a decision whether you want to make that a highlight of your trip, which one might be better to go to, and we'll get their overall impression of their cross-Canada trip in a motorhome. Yep, and I think they really enjoyed it. I saw Ben last Saturday at the arena, and he's even got the t-shirt for Dinosaur Provincial Park, so we'll find out how he got the t-shirt. All right, sounds good. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.